Advent promises peace on earth. Advent promises peace on earth and goodwill to all men. And Jesus said, if they hate me, they will hate you. Matthew 5.11 Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Christ wants us to count it blessed to be persecuted. Blessed to be persecuted. Acts 5.41, when the disciples left the presence of the council, the council that persecuted him, when they left the presence of the council rejoicing, they rejoiced. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. Not only worship through suffering, but our strength is found there too. 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul writes, For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses. I am content with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Happiness and persecution, worship through suffering, strength and weakness, this is not normal. This is Advent. And an ethic that's not of this world. You see, Advent reminds us to set our minds on things above and not on things that are on the earth. We have died and our life is hidden with Christ. And so by the first Advent, we have a word above all earthly powers. We have a word above all earthly powers. No matter what the world does to us, God's truth abideth still. Now, you must see that the first advent is spiritual. That is crucial to a proper understanding of God's word, to a proper understanding of the church, to a proper understanding of our life in Christ now. The first advent is spiritual. But the second, when Christ, who is your life, appears, and then you also will appear with him in glory, then it's heaven on earth. No more suffering, hardships, insults, or persecutions. Hebrews 9, 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, that's the first advent, but the second advent, to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. There are two advents, two kinds of peace. The first peace we get by the first advent of Christ is peace with God. There it's spiritual, peace with God. And then when Christ returns, we will get what every beauty pageant desires. World peace. But for now, the church should focus on the first, the first peace with expectant hope of the second. You see, right now we have peace with God. It is a spiritual peace. We read here in our text, Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The imagery of this prophecy (coughs) begins in a destroyed forest. A fire swept through the forest, burned down, consumed the trees, and that fire was the Assyrians. The Assyrians in 732 swept through Israel, consumed all of Israel, and took them into captivity. 
And the fuel that burned that fire, the fuel that burned that fire of the Assyrians was the wrath and curse of God. And the power behind the wrath of God was his word. The word was coming to pass against Israel. And so here we need a little covenantal history lesson. In Torah, the first five books of Moses, under Moses, God promised Israel blessings and curses. If they obeyed God, if they kept the book of the covenant, if they followed the book of the covenant, kept God's law, it would go well with them in the land. But the day they disobeyed God, Surely, you will die. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy. It, it, it would be well of us to look at Deuteronomy in light of Isaiah. Deuteronomy 11, or excuse me, Deuteronomy 30. <coughs> excuse me, Deuteronomy 30. There's actually many places you can go in Deuteronomy. But Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 20 will suffice. Deuteronomy 30, beginning verse 15. We read Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, says the prophet, this is God speaking, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. I have set before you an option. Choose. I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live. It will go well with you in the land. Then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. That day you will surely die. Like Adam in the garden, life was based. Israel's life in the land was based on the covenant of works. There's a works principle, merit. And like Adam... Israel transgressed the covenant of the Lord. They lost paradise. And that is what we see in our text. Fire swept through and consumed Israel. And the Babylonians are coming next for Judah. Yet from the ashes of war, desolation, and death, from their sin and misery, God promised life here, a deliverer. From the rising smoke and charred ground, from a tree long cut down and thought to be destroyed, a branch, a vine begins to grow. A tree we thought was dead. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of David lost, but not so. There is life still. It is not quite gone. Jewish commentators are quick to add here that, well, this is probably Josiah, or Hezekiah, and yes, they brought reform, but this is not reformation. This is salvation for this kingdom, Isaiah 11. This king is not independent of Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7 promises what? 
virgin birth. You see, this is a kingdom not of this world. It's a kingdom where a virgin is the mother of God. And it is a spiritual kingdom. This is a spiritual kingdom. It is first a spiritual kingdom. Verse 2, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon this coming branch, this king. And Calvin is quick to note here that this necessity of the Holy Spirit is bound to Christ's human nature because Christ in his divine nature is infinitely perfect, infinitely powerful, in need of nothing. Yet in his human nature, Christ needed the Holy Spirit to fulfill the book of the covenant, to be the last Adam, to be the true and righteous son of God, the Israel of God. And in coming down to us, like in us in all things, sin excluded, He has bestowed upon us the same spirit and gifts. And so we should see in these virtues, we should see these virtues in the church. We see the virtues of spirit and wisdom. He has the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Wisdom apprises the situation and renders the right judgment. And if we are endowed with the Holy Spirit, we will have discernment as a church. And the church will be discerning. And he has a spirit of counsel and might. That is, Christ's decisions will be right, and nothing will affect them coming to pass. And if we are endowed with the same counsel and might, we will overcome the temptation that plagues us. And the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, to know God is to worship him rightly, And it is the duty of the Christian to offer himself as a living sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And while all these are there, the true weight of this text does not rest on us and our righteousness. The true weight of the text is Christ. The last Adam, the true Israel of God. Jesus was not of this fallen world. He knew no sin. And his life of righteousness leads to justification and life to all men. It leads to peace with God. So by this one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. You see, the blessings of the book of the covenant, Deuteronomy 30, is found and answered in Jesus Christ. He's the true and righteous man. And endowed by the Holy Spirit, he was able and willing to answer the call of the covenant of works. And so the blessings of the covenant of grace are found not in my righteousness that comes from the law, but that which comes through the righteousness that depends on faith, that is the righteousness from God. You see, the power of the kingdom of God in this first advent is spiritual. It's justification. It's the forgiveness of sins. The world around us with devils filled, but we have peace with God, for Christ has won the battle. The true and righteous man. And it was a spiritual battle. Three, it says, his delight, verse three, Isaiah, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. That is, filled with the spirit. He sought to exercise judgment, and he shall judge by what his eyes see or decide and he shall decide disputes, disputes by what his ears hear. <clears throat> so the fear of the Lord leads this righteous branch to obedience and service. And Jesus' Jesus's ministry was not based on 
open source information. He was not based and he did not need to rely on this world. So he didn't have to worry about fake news, the science or disinformation. He could see right into the heart of man. He could peer right into the heart and he found the real problem, not outward observance of laws and so forth, but the inward man, the inward condition. And notice that his judgment saves. It says verse four, and with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. This verse is basically saying it is Christ who justifies. Who shall bring a charge against the poor? Who can condemn the meek? It is Christ who justifies. You see, the poor and the meek here is spiritual. It's the poor in spirit. That is, the gospel is for those who are helpless. The gospel is for those who cannot keep the law. For those who know their sins and misery, who've tasted the bitterness of failure and live in the misery of shame, it's for those who confess that nothing good dwells in me. You see, this is the blessing of the covenant of works. Notice how his judgment and his decisions provide for and protect the meek. That is, his righteousness with righteousness. That is, his righteousness, the covenant of works. And it's for those who have not kept the covenant of works, for those who are unable to keep the covenant of works, those who are poor and meek, who are without any ability to please God, yet Christ has kept fully God's law. And through the righteous branch, the poor and the meek are saved. It's salvation for those who deserve only wrath. Yet in the place of fear, we've been given hope. We have peace in this world. Peace with God. So no matter what the world throws at us, no matter sin and misery, we have the right man on our side, and the spirit and gifts are ours. You see, his first advent, spiritual, a spiritual kingdom, peace with God. And world peace is coming. It says, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Notice in this text how Christ strikes the earth and kills the wicked. He strikes and kills with what? With his mouth, with his breath. You see that which in the first advent brings peace in life, the preaching of the word. The very word of God in his first advent brings life. Yet in the advent to come, that word will bring death. You see, the gospel is blessings and curses. The preaching of the gospel brings blessings and curses. At the first advent, Christ spiritually destroyed sin and death, and we have peace. And this peace should be found in the church. And so we have beat our swords into plowshares, and we have turned our spears into pruning hooks. That is, there's peace among us as brothers and sisters in Christ. But there's another prophecy in Joel, I believe, that says we will do the opposite. We will turn our plowshares into swords and our pruning hooks into spears. When? When Christ returns. And then it's physical peace on earth by destruction. That's the second advent. When Christ returns to physically destroy sin and death. Yet now as Christians in this world, we live in the time of grace where the gospel kills. It kills off our sin. It kills off unbelief. 
It kills off this fallen world and brings peace with God, and it brings peace in the church. You see, their first advent is spiritual, and the blessings are not of this world. And so the word of God is conquering right now. The word of God is conquering. It's not conquering nations, but it's conquering the peoples of nations. The word kills off sin in God's people. It conquers hearts, and it makes us willing subjects. But Christ is coming. And the word of God is a sword of righteousness by which we must bow now. We must bow now. Or else will be consumed later by that same word. Second Thessalonians 2.8 says, The Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. That's second advent. You see, friends, the gospel is blessing and curses. Blessings to those who believe, poor in spirit, who know their sin and misery. And how we are set free from our sins and misery. But Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. And then final peace. And then the new heavens and the earth. Verse 6. The wolf then will dwell with a lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. This is not spiritual. And this is not a golden age we can inaugurate in this world. No matter what work we try to do with this world, we'll never transform the relationship between predators and prey. There's no transforming the relationship of predators. You may, we, may we may be able to get a lion to eat straw, but he ain't going to like it. He ain't going to be healthy. This is not a call to vegan life. This is not a call to transform the animal kingdom. There is no call to transform anything. This is not of this world. This is the world to come. It's a reversal of nature. It's the destruction of this fallen world, the new heavens and the new earth. And the second advent will even charm our most deadly, our most ancient of enemy. Verse 8, the nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. This is not calling the church to play with snakes. This is telling us that one day we will not have to fear Cain. And you will not have to carry bear spray. But for now, there's Cain out there. And don't forget your bear spray or a big magnum. We'll have, to, we'll have to delete that off the recording, the, the big magnum part. It says, they shall not hurt. They shall not, verse 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. No hurt or destruction in the coming kingdom. No hurt or destruction in the coming kingdom, and we should... It should be enough for us today to experience that in the church. It should be enough for us to experience this harmony today in Christ's church. We should not hurt or destroy one another. In the church, there should be no backbiting, gossip, threats, insults, hardships, calamities, none of these things with God's people. We're not of this world. And the world may hate us, 
but we cannot hate one another. The world may tear us apart, but we cannot tear one another apart. We cannot rip the church apart. You see, the first advent gives us what? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so the world should say, see how much they love one another? Look at them disagreeing over there on the world and the pandemic. But see how they still love one another? Oh, I wish the world would see that. But what we see today with this world, our culture, and the pandemic, what we're seeing in the church is that the church doesn't know how to disagree with one another, and we're tearing each other apart. We're like the world fighting over the world. God forgive us. We fight like the world over the world. We're fighting over this world which is passing away. Its doom is sure. You want to fight for America? Then fight with the gospel. You see, the problem in America is spiritual. The problems we're facing, they're spiritual. 100%. And that means the only answer is the righteousness of Christ. Want to sanctify culture? The gospel is the power of God into salvation. The gospel is the power, the only power of God unto sanctification. But buyer beware. You see, the gospel not only justifies, the gospel gives us a new world. And the gospel is going to make you citizens of a new nation. And before you know it, you're going to seek, you're going to want to seek a better country. That is a heavenly one whose designer and builder is God. And before you know it, you're going to be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. But that's when you're of the most earthly good. You see, before you know it, by the gospel, you're going to want let go goods and kindred. Let kindred, let goods and kindred go. You're going to be saying this mortal life also. The body they may kill but I don't care, because death is gain. And I belong to a kingdom not of this world. And then the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters of the cover of the sea. You see, when the disciples, when the disciples in Acts began to preach the gospel, this prophecy began to take hold. The gospels went out from Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the world. The apostle Paul took hold of that gospel. The Apostle Paul took hold of that gospel and he decided to know nothing in Christ's church except for Christ and him crucified. And he could have known a lot about, he could have known a lot in the church. The church in Rome in which Paul planted churches and spread the gospel, there was so much to worry about. The culture was spoiled and the rulers reigned with terror. Yet Paul never says anything about Rome except to obey them. But he knew Christ and him crucified because Paul knew a little secret. There's a little secret that Luther knew well when he penned those words, and one little word will fail them. 
One little word will fail all the kingdoms of man. One little word. And so Paul concentrated on the gospel and the word of God was spread to the ends of the earth and now we take hold of that word. We take hold of that gospel and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And history proves, history proves that the church When the church loses focus on the gospel and becomes focused in the world's desires, the church becomes of no heavenly good because it becomes too worldly-minded. But Advent gives us a spiritual work to do in this age as we long for the age to come, to trust the gospel, to bring it to our friends and our neighbors, to pray for our enemies that they too might be changed, join the cause, the cause of Christ. We must trust that the gospel will bless. We trust that it will bring peace. And we trust that the gospel curses. And it will ultimately undo all the evil in this world. Christ will return. And a mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing, and his kingdom is forever. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.